Welcome to the third class from Mondays with the Modern Mystics. This was the first time our class met over Zoom, and we're still learning a bit about how that works. We're learning how to be together even across social distancing. So thanks for your patience with us. You'll find the whole presentation online that is a slideshow on our website, holycommunion.net. If you click under education, you'll find the class, and there you'll find a link to the website that is the presentation. Just scroll down. There are a couple videos in there you may want to watch on your own rather than trying to listen to the audio. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy this podcast edition of Mondays with the Modern Mystics. All right, so here's Mondays with the Modern Mystics. Um, tonight we're talking about two people I'm really excited about, and in all honesty, I gotta say I'm a little sad to be giving this presentation now. Uh, there were a number of folks that were commenting online, but there's some lament going on over stuff that has been lost because of this quarantine. Like, it's good to be gung ho and and you know, looking at Sabbath and looking at the silver linings and, but I got to be real. Um, I was going to be getting on a plane on Thursday to go to El Salvador and be there for the 40th anniversary of Romero's martyrdom. And it's a really wonderful thing. So I'm grateful I get to talk about Romero a little bit, but it's a little bittersweet because I, I love that pilgrimage. So, um, so just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and I'm about this presentation, but I'm also a little sad about not getting to be there. And I just want to be real about that. All right. So we're talking about Gustavo Gutierrez and Oscar Romero tonight. Um, and Gustavo Gutierrez, uh, I want to give some context to because um, a, I learned about Gustavo originally as the father of liberation theology. He literally wrote the book, A Theology of Liberation. Uh, he's a Peruvian Dominican. That is to say, he's a Roman Catholic priest of the Order of St. Dominic. That makes him Dominican. Um, and he's from Peru. But when you say he's a Peruvian Dominican, it sounds like he's from two different countries. So he's from Peru, and he's of the Order of St. Dominic. Um, and he's a big deal theologian. And I learned about him in, um, in my Catholic liberation theology classes in San Diego, um, taught by a Latina professor, Maria Pilar Aquino, and I just fell in love with his theology. And then I went uh, to graduate school on the East Coast, and I heard other names for the inventors of liberation theology. And I went, huh? Somebody said James Cone was the founder of liberation theology. And what is sort of amazing is it seems like Gustavo Gutierrez and James Cohn came up with the terminology at about the same time. Cohn references Gutierrez, but they are probably better seen together as the founders of liberation theology because it's within a year of uh, Gustavo Gutierrez's book, A Theology of Liberation, that Cohn publishes a black uh, liberation theology. And the two of them do some incredible work. Tonight, I'm going to be focusing on Latin American liberation theology and particularly Gustavo. And I thought, who better to talk about Gustavo than Gustavo himself? 
This is a very short clip from a lecture he gave at Brandeis University in 2014. And let's see if it will work. Hey there. If you're listening to this podcast online, you'll want to reference the presentation that is on our website, holycommunion.net. Look for the link to Mondays at the Modern Mystics. You can watch the video of Gustavo Gutierrez if you click on the presentation and scroll down. You may want to hit pause as you watch the video and then resume this podcast when you're done to pick up our conversation. So that's a little bit from Gustavo himself. Um, I, this, and you'll see a picture here of his, this is the sort of original cover of his landmark book, A Theology of Liberation. So I often tell the story of um, the first time I ever saw Gustavo Gutierrez was at a event. It was at a lecture and um, I was impressed because he was another one of the holy short people I've ever met. Um, I'm convinced that the holiest people are all short. Mother Teresa was tiny. Desmond Tutu is like shorter than five feet. Uh, Barbara Harris, who I quoted in my sermon on Sunday, was short, 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 short. And Gustavo Gutierrez, he's a little tiny man. Um, and he fills up a podium like larger than life. And I, I heard him talk about um, liberation theology. And he said, one of the ways to think about liberation theology is to think about the way that Christianity has been used in the powerful societies of Western Europe and the Americas. And he says, then we can do that right now. He says, uh, really, if you think about it, the prayer of America, the United States of America, is this. Our Father who art in heaven, stay there. Stay there. You know, that we've edited the Our Father for ourselves because we think we've got this, we've got it under control. It's some of what makes times like this so frustrating is that sense of loss of control uh, because we have this illusion of control a lot in the United States. And Gustavo says, that's not Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer is thy kingdom come, uh, the reign of God. Some people have translated it as kingdom. Um, the idea of, uh, you know, the commonwealth of God is how the New Zealand prayer book puts it. But, but that reign of God, the kingdom of God, what Jesus preaches about so much, liberation theology zeroes in on that announcement. John Sabrino, another liberation theologian from uh, El Salvador, uh, likes to say that Christianity in the West actually gets it backwards sometimes when we put the cross at the very center of things. Really, the cross witnesses to what Jesus preached about, the reign of God. We should put the proclamation of this other way of being in the world, this, this just community that God envisions this beloved community, as MLK talks about it, uh, this, this way of being that is different in the world, this reign of God is the center of what liberation theology teaches. So liberation theology has a political dimension. Uh, it, it says God takes a side. And it's, it's usually not a partisan political dimension. Uh, it's God's side, um, what, what's often called the option that God takes, 
is for the poor, is for the oppressed. God stands with those who are poor, with those who are oppressed. God chooses them in history. And I love this quote, the second quote um, on the screen from Gustavo. Uh, it's from a theology of liberation and, and some of the reflections later on it. Gustavo Gutierrez likes to say, the per- poor are preferred not because they are necessarily better than others from a moral or religious standpoint, but because God is God. It's not that the poor are better, it's that God's, who God is, prefers the suffering, prefers to be with the poor. That's where God stands theologically. It's God's very being to be with those who suffer. And I find that really fascinating. The liberation theologians take the Bible really seriously, and part of what they say is, look at how often Scripture mentions the poor, the oppressed, the hungry, the widows, the orphans. That's where God's word lands. I heard somebody reflecting on liberation theology once say, you know, there are all these people that claim to be biblical literalists, that they take the Bible literally. The only literalist I know uh, in the history of the church is probably St. Francis, who sold all his stuff and went and lived among the poor. That's what the Bible says from front to back, from Genesis all the way to back. So, this idea that God prefers the poor, that it's theologically part of who God is, is central to the teaching of um, liberation theology. I, I wanted to say, though, that Gustavo, for me, fits the model of a mystic, sometimes better than some of the other liberation theologians that follow. In his theology of liberation, you can tell Gustavo is wrestling with questions of contemplation one of the most quoted theologians that he goes to in the theology of liberation is this very 70s, in my mind, that's where he comes from, he's earlier than that, but theologian, he's a French Jesuit, uh, Teilhard de Chardin, uh, and Gustavo was reading Teilhard uh, throughout it, but he also quotes Teresa of Avila, and he was a, a big mystic. And he says, as Teresa of Avila says, God does not give himself entirely to us unless we give ourselves entirely to God. If you want a book that is a mystical reflection on the meanings of liberation theology, of this idea that God has a stake in history and politics and the way we operate, um, Gustavo's book, We Drink From Our Own Wells, is a really good uh, kind of mystical introduction into this work. And and a lot of liberation theology is very structural. Uh, Another quote from Gustavo, the denunciation of injustice implies the rejection of the use of Christianity to legitimize the established order. It was really hard after studying all that liberation theology, I'll say, to go and work right across from the White House and then play a role in prayers for the president sometimes, because the liberation theologians will just indoctrinate you that is absolutely not what the church is there for. The church is there to witness the power, not to bless power. But this is, uh, the church takes a side with God, is Gustavo's understanding. And I want to point out that there are times when theology 
can seem like a really abstract idea. Even liberation theology can seem like you're just playing around with ideas. You're translating from Greek or from Latin. You're, you're, you're playing around with these ideas. But I love this famous quote of Gustavo Gutierrez because he says, oh, so you say you love the poor. Name them. When the poor come to mind, who are you talking about? Name the people you are talking about. It's not abstract. Theology of liberation is concrete. It's about specific people, specific relationships. And a liberative church ought to be able to name people who are poor, who are suffering, because the church should be standing in solidarity with them day to day. So Gustavo is really this figure that I would say with Howard Thurman and James Cone for me, um, Thurman gets there earlier than Cone or Gustavo Gutierrez in his um, famous really little work, um, Jesus and the Dispossessed. Um, Thurman says, I don't know what Christianity, what the point of Christianity is. If it doesn't have something to say, and he says the man, it was the 40s, we'll give it to him, um, but to the person with their back up against the wall. I don't know what Christianity is about unless it has something to say to the person with their back up against the wall. That's what Gustavo Gutierrez is talking about with the option for the poor, with God taking a side. God is on the side of the people whose backs are up against the wall. So... Gustavo is the thinker. He's still alive. He still teaches um, a bit at Notre Dame here and down in Peru. Um, he still lectures. And I want to introduce you to one of the reflection partners for Gustavo. So you heard him talk about praxis and then the captions that are auto-generated by YouTube said practice, but praxis, that's the Latin is, is really important in liberation theology. It's that naming of the specific people. It's you do theology from your context. You know where you're coming from. You know what you're talking about. You're in concrete relationship with and doing work to support those who are suffering. You always do theology from that point of view. You don't sit in an ivory tower. You do theology out from the campo, out from uh, the community. So I wanted to make it more practical, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about Oscar Romero. So Oscar Romero was made a saint, uh, was it just last year? It was within the last two years. Uh, and he wasn't a saint for a really long time. Um, I want to show a really short clip, um, which is nice because it's actually got some news footage that shows Oscar when he was having ministry. Uh, and in the clip, it says he's not yet a saint. The, the clip's a little old. He is now a saint, but it took having this particular pope to get him there. Um, so here's a brief introduction to Oscar Romero. During the 1970s and 80s, a brutal campaign of repression by the military government in El Salvador claimed thousands of lives. The leader of the church, Archbishop Oscar Romero, began to speak out on behalf of the victims and their families. Finally, 
on the 23rd of March 1980, he made a direct appeal to the Salvadoran army. Debe de prevalecer la ley de Dios que dice no matar. Ningún soldado está obligado a obedecer una orden contra la ley de Dios. The following day, Oscar Romero was shot dead in church while celebrating mass. In the eyes of most Salvadorans, Romero had been martyred, and today he is revered there as a saint, although he's not yet been declared to be one by the Vatican. Romero's body was buried, but his possessions, including the vestments he was wearing when he died, have become modern relics. So it's a short video. Um, but you get to see a little bit of Romero. So Romero died 40 years ago this coming week. Um, he was killed uh, while celebrating mass, not as dramatically as in the movie from the 1980s. Um, I think it was at the time while he was actually setting up the table during the offertory, but, um, but during mass nonetheless. Um, and I want to give you a couple of quotes. So Romero was famously sort of a conservative and a bookworm. Um, when he was made archbishop, he was not seen to be particularly progressive, but he sort of had a change of heart. He was actually a member of an organization that's pretty famous now, thanks to Dan Brown's novels, um, called Opus Dei, uh, which is a very conservative organization. But he became an outspoken advocate uh, for the poor and is sort of pointed to as the I mean, there are, there are a few other archbishops that you can point to, other, other bishops you can point to, but he's sort of the example of liberation theology in practice. So you can hear in Romero's words that liberation theology, I will not tire of declaring that if we really want an effective end to violence, we must remove the violence that lies at the root of all violence structural violence, social injustice, exclusion of citizens from the management of the country, repression. All this is what constitutes the primal cause from which, from which the rest flows naturally. Romero got very famous for preaching. All of his homilies were um, broadcast all over the country on Catholic radio. Most people didn't have TVs at that time, and there weren't that many radio stations, so they were broadcast all over the country. It was also very famously, um, one of his friends, a Jesuit named Rutilio Grande, uh, was martyred not long after Romero became archbishop. And there's some question about whether Romero converted to this theology of liberation perspective before Rutilio died, or whether Grande's death really um, caused that change of heart. The movie, the famous movie with Raul Julia, makes it look like Grande's, it's, it is a big moment, but people would say that this was already in him. He was already writing uh, for the poor and of the poor before Rutilio died. But when Rutilio died, he canceled mass across the country, which you, you've seen this week how big of a deal that is. It's so disruptive. And he said, look, the lives of the poor are being disrupted every day by violence. Every day that people are being repressed, the lives are being disrupted. So Yes, the death of one priest and companions 
that's going to disrupt mass in the country. And he preached from the pulpit of the cathedral, and it was the only sermon that was preached in El Salvador that Sunday. Romero was a forceful, forceful political preacher, but he was also a pastor. Uh, he was also a a very prayerful human being. If you go and you're invited, we're going again in uh, hopefully a year from this summer. But if you come down, uh, you'll see the little um, Romero refused the archbishop's palace. They wanted to give him a really fancy mansion. And instead he moved on to a hospice. Um, there's a little tiny cancer hospital run by an order of nuns, Carmelite nuns in downtown San Salvador. And he actually moved into their sacristy. He just set up a cot uh, and eventually the nuns gave him a little three-room house and they had the cancer patients give him the keys because he knew they knew he couldn't refuse a gift from them and he probably would refuse it from the nuns. But that little, muse, it's now a little museum and it holds those vestments that they talk about, but it also holds his rosary. And Romero prayed the rosary so much that his rosary has little cavities in it from where the beads are worn out from it passing through his hands. He's a very prayerful, very pastoral, a very down-to-earth guy. I quoted him on um, the Blue Christmas service this year. Uh, and in one of his homilies, he says, there are many things that can only be seen through eyes that have wept. Uh, this is maybe the most famous quote from his homilies. It's the one that you heard him, um, if you could hear. I don't still know if you could hear, but they were translating um, in his last homily, he stood in the pulpit of the Metropolitan Cathedral in San Salvador and said to the army, he says before this, he says, I am addressing the army. Brothers, you came from your own people. You are killing your own brothers. Any human order to kill must be subordinate to the law of God, which says thou shalt not kill. No, no soldier is obliged to obey an order contrary to the law of God. No one has to obey an immoral law. It is high time you obeyed your consciences rather than sinful orders. The church cannot remain silent before such an abomination in the name of God, in the name of the suffering people whose cry rises to heaven more loudly each day. I implore you, I beg you, I order you, stop the repression. Um, this little quote um, I also just thought was lovely. Let us not tire of preaching love. It is the force that will overcome the world. For Romero, it was the gospel that was political and that he wasn't trying to shove politics into the pulpit. He was preaching from a gospel that had a stake. I love that quote because it goes really well with Gretchen. When we took Gretchen um, with us back in 2017, Warren was there. He was on the video chat. I don't know if he still is. Can't see everybody at once these days. Yeah, Warren's there. But this is a picture from that trip. Um, Gretchen standing next to the big portrait of Romero in the cathedral. And I just thought that was lovely. She's wearing one of the Love is Brave shirts from the Magdalene House Bravely. Maybe another very famous quote of Romero's. So Romero, like Dr. King, sort of anticipated his death. Um, and he said this, and this would be, and it will be, if, if, if they do hold the march, because who knows if they're going to hold it with coronavirus, but if they do hold the march... Um, this will be painted in Spanish on banners. It was at the 30th anniversary when I was there 10 years ago. Because um, in one of his last sermons, Romero said, if God accepts the sacrifice of my life, may my death be for the freedom of my people. A bishop will die, but the church of God, which is the people, will never perish. I do not believe in death without resurrection. 
if they kill me, I will rise again in the people of El Salvador. He was nervous. Um, the nuns, even after they gave him the house, they would find him sometimes uh, in the sacristy because his little house was below a mango tree and it was right up against the wall, right up against the road. And when the mangoes were ripe, they would fall on the tin roof and he would get scared sometimes in the night that somebody had thrown a grenade up over the wall and onto his roof. And so the nuns would find him back in the sacristy. He was a very human, very, very nervous person, but he also found the courage to say something like, if God accepts the sacrifice of my life, may my death be for the freedom of my people. I do not believe in death without resurrection. So Romero lived this theology that Gustavo teaches. Um, if we were at the church, I would break you into tables. Instead, I'm going to ask you to participate um, in the Lexio lesson um, right here. I pulled up three lessons or three short readings um, two from uh, Romero, one from Gustavo. And I wonder if somebody would be willing to read. Um, what we're gonna do after each reading, one person will read it aloud. Um, and then there's a question at the end. Um, the first one is really simple. It's just what word or phrase catches your attention? And I'll ask everyone who feels led to share, and we won't discuss back and forth, but share if there's a word or phrase that catches your attention. That's it for Mondays with the Modern Mystics. If you would like to check out the texts that we read together, again, they're just down at the bottom of the presentation. You can scroll down. We hope you enjoyed listening in with us. Feel free to join us for the Zoom conversation next Monday, the 23rd of March, as we continue our series. God bless.